It's a great day to be at Rock Hills, and I'm excited about what God is going to do today. We're starting, we're starting a new series today called This Is Us. We've wrapped up our road trip. Hopefully some of you guys have been able to take some time this summer, go out on the road, spend some time with your family, maybe get away a little bit. Hopefully you made some memories or learned some life lessons along the way. I know we have. Uh, our family just went on a road trip this last week way out to the remote mountains in West Texas where there's no Wi-Fi totally disconnected, and it was a great time for us just to get away and unplug and have some fresh air, but also it was a great reminder for us about how important relationships in our lives are and, and people that have gone before you, how they've, they've set a standard for you. And so it was a great reminder for me personally, but also for our family, just to see some of those examples of relationships in our lives. So it was a great reminder for me of how important relationships are when it comes to our church as well. And when, we talk, when we're going through this series, we're going to be talking about some of the things that are very most important to us here at Rock Hills. And one of those things has to be relationships. Our relationship with God. If we could boil it down to one of the most important things that we want to do, we want to help you have a relationship with God where you can know who God is, not just in your head, but you see God working in your life. We also want to help you have relationships with each other where we're helping each other along in the journey. We're there for each other during those times when we need prayer and encouragement. We've got somebody that we can turn to and call on where we're a family together. So we got relationship with God, relationship with each other, and then also very important to us here at Rock Hills is our relationship with people who don't come to this church, who are outside these four walls, the people that you live close to, the people that you work with, the people that you go to school with, maybe just the people that you run across. It is never, ever, ever just about us. When the church becomes that this is just us here in this room, then we've totally missed the point. And I was reminded of this yesterday as I heard the saddening news from Charlottesville. Listen, the kingdom of God can never be us versus them. It's always about us, us together, that we're all sinners and we all need the grace of God. And so when we talk about Rock Hills, we're talking about how important our relationships are with God, with each other, and with the people who may never even come through these doors, but that we're called to be the light of Christ for. So over these next few weeks, we're going to talk about some of the core elements of our church. And sometimes we just need a little DTR. We need to define the relationship, define what our relationship is with God, define what our relationship is with each other and what our relationship is with people outside these walls. So that's what we want to do over these next few weeks is define the relationship. And I don't think there's a better example in the entire Bible of defining the relationship than this tank right here. Baptism. Baptism is a symbol of you being buried with Christ and rising again. To give you a parallel, I always look at it much like this wedding ring right here. This wedding ring doesn't make me married, right? I just took it off. I'm still married to my wife. I put it back on. Ooh, I'm getting kind of chubby there. Uh, take it off, put it on. I'm, I'm still married, whether it's on or off, right? Because it's not about the ring. The ring is a symbol that I am in covenant with my wife. The good times, the bad, the rich, the poor, right? No matter where we're at, no matter what we're going through, I am committed to my spouse. Much the same way, baptism is a symbol that we have now committed our lives to Christ publicly. 
right? This says to my wife, this says to my family, this says to my church, this says to strangers that I am in a covenant relationship with my wife. This is a public statement that Christ has changed my life and that I am now alive in Him. So we're going to look at baptism a little bit today. There's good ways to look at baptism. There's not such good ways to look at baptism. And I'll be honest with you, if any of you guys have been as a, a distorted of a mind as I have, when I say baptism, this is the very first thing that comes to my mind sometimes. If you'll roll the clip for us, Jacques. I'm a little concerned right now about your salvation and stuff. How come you have not been baptized? Because I never got around to it, okay? I don't know why you always have to be judging me. Because I only believe in science. But tonight... We are going up against Satan's caveman. And I just thought it would be a good idea if you... So that's one approach, and uh, if we need to take that approach with you today, you might just watch your back, because we might have to do that. But no, we're going to make a baptism. we got several people who have decided they're ready to make that step today, take the next step in their faith and be baptized. And uh, so we've got some young people who are going to be doing that today. But I want to give you a heads up. We want to make it available to all of you. I've got extra towels. I've got extra shorts. I've got extra t-shirts all available out there in the lobby. So as we talk about this, I want that to be in your mind. We're going to take a a few quick snapshots today of people in the Bible who responded to God as God was tugging on their heart. Maybe they were new to their walk with Christ. Maybe they, this was a brand new encounter that they had with God. But we're going to take a look at a few people. In the Old Testament, there's a guy named Joshua. If you grew up in church, you may be familiar with this guy. Be strong and courageous. That's Joshua. He is the guy who follows Moses. Moses is the guy who sets the Israelites free. Free from generations of slavery to the Egyptians. And then they go out to the wilderness and they wander around for 40 years on their journey to the promised land. As they get to the promised land, Moses dies. And then Joshua is the man that God calls on to be his successor, to stand up for the people of God. They've arrived. They're in the promised land. The promised land means this is paradise. This is where things are good. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's beautiful. It's what they've been yearning for for generations. But Joshua looks around, and Joshua is a little bit troubled. Because as they are living in the goodness of God, Having what God promised in their life, there's something missing. As he looks around at the people, he sees, you know what? These people, they're not praying. They're not worshiping. They're just living in what God has given them. But they're not responding to God. They're not giving their devotion to Him. God has saved them from slavery and oppression. He's given them this promised land. Despite the trials that they've faced, they have so much to be thankful for. They have so many reasons in their lives to say, God, I surrender everything to you and I worship you. But as Joshua looks around, he notices the people, they're collecting idols of the people that they've come across over the last few generations. They're bringing these idols into their homes 
And they're worshiping God, but they're also worshiping these idols. And Joshua, he has a moment where, where he just can't take it anymore. And he essentially says, how in the world is it possible that God set you free from Pharaoh, brought you through the wilderness, miraculously fed you, miraculously delivered you to the promised land, brought you through the plagues and fed you over and over again to this land of milk and honey. How could you not be giving God everything that you are? It says in Joshua 24, 15, it's as if Joshua said, I want you to hear this loud and clear. He says, but if you refuse to serve the Lord, choose today who you will serve. Would you prefer to serve the gods of your ancestors, serve beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in the land who who you now live? But as for me and as for my house, we will serve the Lord. He's saying today you need to choose. Is it going to be the God who led you here? Or is it going to be the God of the people that we've been defeating? And the people that have been fled out of this land. He said you have to make a choice. Joshua is so serious about this as he says... I'll I'll go first for you. As for me, here's what I'm going to do. As for my family, this is where we stand. We will serve the Lord and the Lord alone. In Scripture, we see that as as a result of this, as a result of Joshua saying, you know what, I can't just go to church anymore. I can't just live in this land that God has given us but not give God everything that I am because he takes this stand. And declares this, we see that literally tens of thousands of Israelite people do the same. They go home, they get rid of their wooden idols, they smash them, they burn them, they say no more. We're not going to vacillate between the gods of this world and the true God. We will worship the true God with all of our lives. As you follow this story through Joshua 24, we see that because of this, because Joshua chose this, the people chose this. And because of that, peace and prosperity come to their generation. We move forward in the Old Testament. There's a character named David. Many of you are familiar with him, right? David and Goliath. He goes on to become the king. The Bible says he's a man after God's own heart. He's a worshiper. Many of the Psalms are written by David. They were prayers and they were songs that he would write to God to worship God. He had such a heart to worship God. He is the first one that we see that says, I want to build a permanent structure. For God, You see, as they're living under the blessing of God, David is living in this vast palace. And all of a sudden, he comes under this conviction. He says, you know what? I live in a beautiful house, but yet we worship God in an old tent out there. And he says, I can't stand for that anymore. If I live in a house, we need to build God something even greater. So he declares to the people, he says, my son Solomon is going to build a temple like never before so that God can be worshipped as he is deserved to be worshipped. And then he goes to the people and the surrounding nations and he says, I want you guys to make it happen. It's going to take a lot of resources. We're all going to have to contribute. Surrounding nations, God has blessed you as well. Everybody has to contribute to this. And he gets very little response. So then he gathers all the leaders from his nation, from the surrounding nations. And he says, guys, you have to understand, God deserves to be worshipped right. We need to build this temple, so I'm going to step up to the plate first. And he says, here's what I'm going to give. And he begins to list 
I'm giving this many resources. And he just puts all that he has into seeing that the temple will be built. And because David crossed this line in honoring God, the people do the same. And it becomes the eighth wonder of the world. We see another man in the Old Testament, the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 18. He's confronting the people of Israel who have grown stale in their commitment to the Lord, and they begin to worship a God named Baal. And there's all these prophets of Baal, hundreds of them. Finally, he says, I've had enough. And they come together for this showdown. And he, he says, okay, we're going to see if the true God is God or if your Baal is God. So we talked about this uh, about a month or so ago. But they have this showdown where basically they say, okay, God, if your God show up, Baal, if your God show up, and they build these huge altars and they pray and the prophets of Baal pray and pray and they dance and they cut themselves and nothing happens. And then Elijah, he builds an altar and he pours water on it over and over and over again. And as he calls on God, the fire of God falls and consumes everything in its path. But here's what it says in verse 21 as he confronts them. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. So then they have this massive showdown and God shows up. And then it says in verse 39, and when, he, and when the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. We move on to the New Testament. Peter is in Acts chapter 2. He's now in Jerusalem. It's the time of Pentecost. Jesus has been crucified. He's risen from the dead. There's people that have seen Jesus and and everything is just beginning to take shape as far as the church goes. God has shown up in incredible and miraculous ways. But as Peter looks around, there's a burden that comes upon Peter. He sees so many people that are walking around in Jerusalem as if it's just another Monday. It's just another day going through the week as if nothing has happened. He's frustrated as the days go by and he thinks to himself... Jesus was just crucified right here in our city. And you're just going on with business as usual. And then he hits that point. He crosses the line. Scripture says he stands up and says in a loud voice. Essentially he says, people, this makes no sense. Do you remember a few days ago? Do you remember the man named Jesus that was from Bethlehem? He walked among us. He sat among us. He taught us. We heard the scriptures like never before. You saw him do miracles. You saw him turn water into wine. You saw him heal the lame. And then you saw the lame begin to walk again. You saw him raise the dead. I don't understand how this has not transformed your heart. You saw this with your own two eyes. And you even watched him be crucified. As a matter of fact, some of you even yelled, Crucify him. Crucify him. Peter continues his message and explains how in the world God can take a tragedy like his own son's death and turn it around and pour out grace and mercy and compassion on every single one of us taking our sins upon himself that we might know him. Jesus paid the price for good. He died for us and took our place. Peter couldn't understand 
why people couldn't see that power and why it wouldn't change their lives. In Acts 2.38, he cries out with conviction. The people, after hearing Peter's message, cry out in conviction. And they say, well, what do you want us to do? Peter challenges them. You need to cross the line. You need to go from just believing in your head that this is real to where it transforms your life. In other words, it's a lot like this wedding ring again. Right? We're not just dating anymore. We're not just shacking up. It's not just a relationship that we have. People, you need to go to where you're making a commitment, where you are all in, where you're saying, for the rest of my life, I give everything that I am to you. Peter said, it's time for commitment. 238, it says this, Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He tells them, repent and be baptized. Realize that Jesus died for the very ones of you that didn't stand up for him, he's telling them. He bore your sins on the cross. And now every single one of us have the opportunity to repent, to turn to him, and to be made new. Scripture tells us that that very day, 3,000 plus people repented and they were baptized and they gave their lives to the Lord. And then here's the really cool thing. It's after that moment that the church takes off. What we sit in here today stems, you can trace it all the way back to this one moment right here where Peter said, enough is enough. If you're in, then get all the way in. And these people responded and then the church just explodes. And that's what we see through the rest of the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament. Many people came to trust Christ with all of their lives. Then there's the end of the book, Revelation. John is writing from the island of Patmos. He writes to several churches, but one of them in Revelation chapter 3 is the church of Laodicea. I think we could probably relate to this church. They lived in an affluent area, They had banking, they had commerce, they had thriving businesses, and there was a river that ran right through the city. These people were like, we live in a really great place. We've got a really great thing going. Life is good. And they believed in God, but their life was really good to the point where they thought, we believe in God, but we don't need to depend on Him for anything because we can take care of ourselves. We're doing really good. We've got our own gold. We've got our own commerce. We've got our own food, and God is great, but we're doing just fine. And John writes to them when he can't take it anymore, realizing that they don't need God or anything else. He says, you're not hot and you're not cold. And Revelations 3, 15 and 16 says this, I know all the things you do. You are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. But since you are lukewarm water, neither hot or cold, I spit you out of my mouth. Literally, this repulsed God where they were. How they believed in God, but there was nothing there. There was nothing on the inside. It was just kind of up here. It was just something that they did. There was no life there. He says, you're neither hot nor The word hot meaning like a purifying fire for God where you're just burning for God and there's no room for anything else but God that's not going to be burned away within your life. 
or he says you're not cold. All right? And oftentimes we hear this cold like you just totally rejected God, but that word cold literally means refreshing. All right? So I want, I'm going to help you picture this. I want you to think back to the last few days. It's been hot, right? I mean nasty hot the last few days, right? Some of you have been outside in that heat. After you're out there, you're mowing the lawn, you're washing the car, whatever it is outside, how good is that cold glass of ice water just to drink it down when you are so parched? That's what Scripture is talking about here. It says you're not hot. There's no fire of God burning within you. You're not so filled with God that you're refreshing to the people around you. You're just lukewarm, stagnant. Now, I like hot coffee, and I like cold brew coffee as well. But you give me a cup of just lukewarm coffee that's been sitting there all day, getting gross from the gas station, right? I mean, it's just nasty, right? And that's what God is saying here. And there, there's no life in you. You're just, you exist with God in, in your realm, but you're not giving your all to him. There's no commitment there. He paints a picture of people who are comfortable, but they're unwilling to give their all to God. They're unwilling to be the church. You see, church is not just a building. It's about us being the church. They're just existing. Why would this be repulsive to God? I mean, why would he use a word so strong as to say, that nauseates me? Your kind of faith nauseates me because at least it's faith, right? I mean, at least there's some degree there if it's at least lukewarm. Why would he say that that nauseates him? Because he paid such an incredible price for every single one of them. He paid such an incredible price for every single one of us. Regardless of where we've been or what we've gone through or what we've faced in life, God said, I spent everything on you all the chips on the table because I love you and I want to know you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to give you forgiveness. I want to give my gifts in your life. I want to put the power of God in your life. I want the very best for you as a parent. Those of you who are parents, you can understand this with your children, right? No matter what choices they may be making as they grow up, there's something within you that, as a parent that says, I want the very best for you. And if I could give it to you, if I could make you make the choice, I would. And God says, I love you that much, but you've got to make the choice. He wants to give us the very best. Maybe some of you can relate to this. Maybe you've come to church. You sit in the seats on a regular basis. You sing the songs, you bow your head when we pray. Maybe you go to a rock group and you've got friends here at church. Maybe, maybe you've trusted Christ at some point in your life. But maybe within you, there's no life. If you're here today and you say, I'm tired of just believing in God. I'm tired of being lukewarm on the inside. I want to give you an opportunity to do something about that today. And you may be reaching for the brakes thinking, I, I didn't come ready for this. But maybe you've hit that place in your life where you say, you know what? I need to put all the chips on the table. I need to say, as for me in my house, I want to see the blessing of God on my life. I want to see God's presence in my home. And let it start with me. Let it start with me having a real relationship with God. I can't have a relationship with God through Al Hasler. 
You can't have a relationship with God through me. You can't depend on your spouse for your relationship with God. Maybe it needs to start with you saying, as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. We have an opportunity to put our trust in Christ and to make a public statement. The Word of God tells us that we need to repent and be baptized. Trust Christ and be baptized. And the cool thing that we see through all these accounts is that when one person decided, you know what? I'm in. I want to give everything that I am to God. They turned around and there was a whole crowd behind them. And the truth is, whether you're an introvert, an extrovert, whether you're shy or outgoing, it doesn't matter. When you take a step towards Christ, the Bible promises that He draws near to you. But there's other people who are watching you. Saying, if He can do it, I can do it. I'm going to watch that person. If I see God work in their life, I need to take that step as well. I heard a story recently uh, from a pastor. This place that we went to, they've got several pastors that preach. And this particular pastor uh, was talking about a baptism that happened on one of his mission trips when he was in Africa. And uh, they had, he was helping speak at the service, and um, they called people. They said, tonight we're going to have baptisms at the, the night service. And so uh, they called people up. If you want to get baptized, come tonight and be ready to be baptized. Well, as people were coming up that night, they noticed one young lady who was coming up in the line, and she was carrying a suitcase. They thought, well, that's odd. You know, and as she got closer and closer, eventually some of the people that were helping with service said, man, why are you carrying a suitcase to get baptized? And this young lady explained to the pastor, she said, I went home and told my family that I gave my life to the Lord and that I wanted to be baptized tonight. And they said, if you're going to be a Christian and if you want to get baptized, you can never come back to our home. So she packed her bags and she went to be baptized. She said, everything that I am belongs to Christ, and I want to trust my life to Christ. I don't know the rest of her story. I'm hoping that God has blessed her in amazing ways. Sometimes I hear people say, I don't remember when I was baptized. You know, it was a long time ago, or I don't even remember why I did it. Maybe, maybe some of you just have always thought, um, I'm too busy, I'll try to do it next time they do it at church. Or I don't really want to get wet, or it's just not the right time for me, or I haven't done it. I'm just saying that today, if your head is giving you excuses, but your heart is saying, you know what? I need to put the chips on the table. I need to put the ring on and say, I am all in everything for Jesus. If your heart, if your spirit is telling you that, I want you to be baptized today. Like I said, we've got extra towels. I came with Big Faith today. We have a bunch of towels. And we've got a bunch of shirts out there. And we've got a bunch of shorts out there. And so we've got some young people who are already ready. And they're, they're going to step up here in just a moment. And we'll have a video in a second where you will have an opportunity to go grab those, change into them, or you can go in your clothes and then change into those others afterwards if you want. But my prayer is that today, If God is calling you to step over the line and say everything for Jesus, and some of you have already done this and we celebrate with you, but if it's you today and you say, I've never taken that step, let today be your day. Romans 6, 7, and 8 says, For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we now know that we will live with Him. 
We died with Christ when we go into the grave, into the water. We live with him as we come up in new life. Jesus gives his disciples their marching orders. He tells them, go and make disciples. In other words, help them follow Christ and baptize them in my name. And he says, and I will be with you always. Always. Jesus says, I'm going to be with you forever, whatever we face. So no excuses today. If today's your day, I want you to pray. I want all of us to pray together because we could all stand to repent of the things that have been going on in our lives. But we're going to take just a moment of prayer. And if that's you, after we're done praying, we're going to roll a video. I encourage you uh, to get up and go grab some clothes and change into them. And uh, we've got, I believe, five uh, people here today that are ready to go. So if they'll just come and stand up here on stage with me, we'll get the baptism started. But let's take a moment to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we don't deserve your grace. We don't deserve your mercy. We don't deserve, Father, to live in the land of promise. Lord, you have blessed our lives so wonderfully and you have given us your grace over and over and over again. And Father, I look back over these generations throughout the scripture. Lord, where people have said, you know what? We need to take a step up. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Father, I pray today that if we need to take the next step, Lord, that you would move on our hearts to do so. Lord, we're all guilty. We're all sinners. But Lord, you sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. Would you just take a moment and ask God to forgive you where you need to be forgiven? Would you ask for help where you need help, where you struggle? Would you lay your insecurities at his feet? Would you take a moment to repent and trust in Christ? Even if you've never done it before, you can simply say something like this. Lord, I thank you that you sent Jesus to die for me. That by his blood, I can be made a new creation. God, today, I want to surrender all that I am to you. And I thank you for your forgiveness that makes me new. In Jesus' name.